the book of Nehemiah, chapter 1. chapter 1. Amen. The book of Nehemiah chapter 1. And would everyone please stand for the reading of God's word. Book of Nehemiah chapter 1. Verse 4 reads, So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. I want to speak from the thought a godly leader is a praying leader part two a godly leader is a praying leader part two the book of Nehemiah nestled within the Old Testament with a context of a time at which both the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom has gone under judgment. The northern kingdom is no more. It has been decimated due to exiling of Israelites of the northern and then importing, if you will, exporting of Israelites and importing of other pagan nations. So now it's a smorgasbord, it's a mixed mash that no longer has the identity of Israel. All of this happened in 722 BC. But just a century and some change down the road, amen, the, the, the problem then exists with the southern kingdom. In 586 B.C., the southern kingdom called Judah was judged by God. He used a pagan nation called Babylon, a a dynasty that that exiled the people of Judah to Babylon. They burned the houses, the temple, the wall was torn down. Many of their structures were decimated in the, the exile. And then years go by and there comes this scene that opens up in the book of Nehemiah. A scene that doesn't open where we might think it would open there in Judah, amen, but it opens in Persia. It opens in a pagan nation, a strong one, amen, which the Medo-Persians will eventually overcome the Babylonians. But God has strategically placed one of his, one of his, 
as you would might say, a fish out of water, amen, amidst this pagan nation, there is a Judean. There is a Judean that loves God, and his name is Nehemiah. He's not a priest. He's not a prophet. He's not anything what we would call vocational leadership, if you will, vocational ministry. But he is a man that loves God. And I contend, as we did on last week and prior to that, a couple of weeks before that, that God does use those who are not vocational ministers. He uses them in special ways to do special tasks that maybe even the priest or the prophet cannot do. And we find one in Nehemiah. Nehemiah has been working for the king of Persia. He's a busy man, amen, because at the end of chapter 1, we find that he was the king's cupbearer. It's a 24-hour job, amen. But even though he was extremely busy, he was never too busy for the things of the Lord. And I think that is uh, very instructive for us today. In all of our busyness, amen, let us not get too busy (laughs) that we can't do anything for the Lord. Nehemiah sets a standard, an example for us that uh, he's a 24-hour job, amen. If the king got hungry in the middle of the night, uh, Nehemiah would have to be awakened and come and taste the food first before the king could eat it. Because that was the cupbearer's job. He was to drink the drinks and taste the food before the king would taste or drink. Because if the king was to be poisoned, amen, the cupbearer would take the brunt of that so that the king might live. Not only a uh, busy job, but a dangerous one as well. Because the king always has his distractors and his enemies. His enemies, amen. So, so here we've got a, a, a Judean. We've got a, a man of God in a strange land. Amen. But we find that God can use his people in peculiar paces. And that God's uh, uh, sovereign will is exposed and it is, it, it is clearly seen in the book of Nehemiah. Because what we'll find later is that King Artaxerxes, or amen, the king of Persia, will now grant him his wish and also give him the resources to do what God is calling him to do. Saints of God, here's another point that we must bring out, is that wherever we are and whatever we're doing, just because we can't see God's handiwork in what we're doing, that we can't see the resources that we need to do a task, does not mean that they're not there. We just can't see him. But the God that we serve is an infinite God. He knows all things. He can be in all places and he can do everything well. So it is our jobs to trust God by faith. If we know that God is calling us to something, amen, it's not for us to try to put a pencil to it, but to trust God. 
Because I found out that God is rich in houses and land. The cattle on a thousand hills and the hills thereof. The silver and the gold is the Lord. The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof and they that dwell in it. See, we don't have to worry about that when you serve a God like us. And when you serve a God like the God that we serve, amen, when you serve the God Almighty, you don't have to worry about putting a pencil to it because God has it all. Amen? So we find in our text a prayer. And because we know the man Nehemiah is a man of of devotion to God, then we find some instruction in this prayer. We find in verse 4 that he wept and he mourned for many days and was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. We studied the first part of this prayer, amen, and we found out that, you know, we can't say that y'all have sinned, but that all have sinned, because the reality is, Nehemiah put himself in the place of sinner as well. Not only himself, but his fathers as well. He took ownership for the issue at hand. He took ownership, amen, for part of the reason why Judah had to be judged. And it ought to be instructive to us that we ought to take ownership for the issues that we deal with because of our disobedience. We're not in this by ourselves. It's not one person's fault. Amen. We're one body, many members. So my sin, your sin is all wrapped up together and we sin against God. Amen. So we take our sins to God because we're one body, many members. Amen. Even in the Old Testament, this is seen because this Judean is wrapping himself up with the rest of Judah. Amen. So we go down into the prayer a little further to verse 8. Nehemiah says, remember, I pray, the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. Verse 8 has a a dark, uh, a dismal outlook. Because if you leave it with verse 8, we find that God will judge. But we know from Isaiah that God does not desire judgment but he desires mercy. God did not want to have to destroy the northern kingdom, nor did he want to allow the southern kingdom to be taken off in exile. But they were so unfaithful, so disobedient. Amen. Like we are sometimes. Amen. So unfaithful, so disobedient. God has to pull out his belt and chastise us. But there's some good news in the text because, first of all, Nehemiah calls out the qualities of God. See, Nehemiah doesn't try to do like our contemporary world tries to do and say, if God is all loving, then why is there evil in the world? (laughs) See, they try to put it all on God, amen, and then they only want to look at part of God's attributes. But God is not just a loving God, but he's also a just God. 
God would not be God if he winked at sin. Amen. And that is the problem with the world from original sin. Through one man, sin entered the world. God didn't make Adam and Eve do what they did. They made it of their choice of their own volition. Therefore, sin entered the world. God warned them. Amen. But they did it anyway. And God is still warning us of stuff. Amen. And we're still doing it anyway. So trying to put all that on God, blame shifting, amen. But not Nehemiah. He took responsibility of it for himself and of his people. Amen. And that's how the baptized born again believer today has to be. We've got to take some responsibility for our sin. Amen. Because first of all, amen, in order to get healing, we got to deal with the issue of sin. When you go to, to, the, to the books of Chronicles, you go to one of the chapters, I believe chapter 7 of 2 Chronicles, amen, it talks about if my people called by my name would humble themselves and pray, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways then he would forgive their sins and heal the land. See, the problem of sin has to be dealt with before healing can begin. You can't sit up and act like you ain't never done nothing. You ain't never sinned. All the problems of the world is somebody else's fault and expect God to heal your land. No, you got to bring it to God. Like David said, he said, I have sinned against thee and thee only, O Lord. Psalm 51. He brought it. He said, it wasn't somebody else's fault. It wasn't, well, uh, Bathsheba shouldn't have been looking so good. Bathsheba shouldn't have been at her house taking her bath. He didn't blame her, but he went right to the Lord with himself. And all of us got to do the same because it's not y'all, but it's all. Amen. We all are in this together. Amen? Amen. And so when we look at the text, some good news starts to happen out of a promise of God. Because in verse 8, we see part of what he asked the Lord to remember. But Nehemiah, that, that faithful man of God who knew the word of God, then goes to verse 9 and says, But if you return to me, these are the words of the Lord, and keep my commandments and do them. Though some of you were cast out to the farthest parts of the heavens, yet I will gather them from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling place for my name. Mm. Now see, that's, that's another instructive thing that Nehemiah brings out. Um, God loves his people to pray his word. But you can't pray his word unless you know his word. Nehemiah knew his word. And Nehemiah brought his word back to him. Not like God was going through spiritual amnesia and he had a problem with his memory. No, but God likes to hear his word. And in praying his word to God, once again, giving God the glory. But he did not try to omit part of the text. You know, a lot of times our um, 
prosperity preachers, amen, or, or, or those who are trying to tickle ears, amen, they omit the hard things of the word and just deal with the easy, those things that the flesh will enjoy. Not Nehemiah. He started out talking about, but remember, Lord, that you said if we were unfaithful, then you would scatter us. Now, you got to deal with that first because they have been scattered. Every one of us in our lives, in one sense or another, because of sin, there's some scattering. Whether it's scattering here at New Zion or whether it's scattering in our household, inside of our families, there's some scattering because of sin. We might try to look good and try to act like ain't nothing going on, but it is because sin scatters. There are issues we deal with we wouldn't share with other folks, amen, but there's a scattering. There's some times when we sit even alone and we find ourselves, our minds wandering to places that they shouldn't wander, amen, because there's a scattering. See, sin is still in our midst. We're still dealing with that issue. There are some family relationships that are stressed, amen. There's some disappointment and there's some disillusionment, amen, because of sin. But the good news is the reality of bringing out the problem, now you can get a solution. But if there is no problem, then where's the need for a solution? So God's saying, bring me the problem because I am, hallelujah, the solution. Look at the text, y'all. Praise the Lord. Verse 9 said, but, I love it when it's a but there, but if you return to me, me being capitalized here, he's talking about himself, you return to me, God says, and keep my commandments and do them. See, sometimes we believe it's just enough, amen, to hear the word, amen, maybe even to tell somebody else about it, amen. But that's not good enough. you got to live it for yourself. God is looking at his stewards to be accountable for his word. And every one of us are stewards. And I want to say and contend here in this text once more that there is no one in here that's not a leader. No believer in this house that's not a leader. You may not be a preacher. You may not be a priest. You may not be a prophet or an apostle. But you are a believer in Jesus Christ. You are a leader. You are an ambassador. You are a representative of the king. That's big, y'all. That means that when you walk and when you talk and when you act, you're representing the king. Every one of us is a leader. God has filled us with the Holy Spirit, empowered us with the ability to be witnesses. And we ought to take that seriously. We ought not look for quote unquote organizational leaders to do it. Amen. But we ought to be looking to the Lord to say, here am I, send me. Because the work is too great for just a few whose job is to help equip the gospel leaders, amen, to then carry out the ministry. Really and truly, my job as pastor is really akin to an equipment manager. 
I work and make sure that the equipment is right and tight so that when you put it on and you go into the game, that you can play it with gusto, that you can go for the gold. Amen? I'm an equipment manager, so my job is to make sure, but you guys get to play in the game even more than I do. Amen? Because it's more of you. Amen? So we look at our text, and we find that even though God is a just God, He's always a God of mercy. He's always a God looking for the opportunity to fix what is broke. Look at the text. It says, but if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though some of you were cast out to the farthest parts of heaven, yet I will gather them from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Look at the Lord. Even though he has to punish and he has to scatter folks to the farthest place of heaven, a place where you feel like you cannot return. Say, I've gone out here so far, how can I ever be used by the Lord this way? I've done this and I've done that and this unthinkable thing I can't share with nobody else. And yet the Lord can use me. Yes, he can. Because we found that in the word of God that when sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. God's got enough grace to get you back from your doldrums. He's got enough grace to forgive you of your sin, no matter how bad it is. Because you can't go so low that God can't go. He says, I'm going to the Father's place. Don't count yourself out in the service of the Lord, but count yourself in by trusting him to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. We strain and we we strive and we struggle in areas that we don't have to. If we seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all those things will be added unto us. There is a formula, there is a method to God's ministry, to God's methods. Amen. There is something there that he set forth for us if we will just trust in his name. We, We look at the text. And we found out that he's got a place for us. He's got a dwelling place for his name. See, God is uh, very concerned about his name. But but if you will forgive forgive one another, amen, and ask the Lord to forgive you, God's got a place that he wants to bring you back to so that he can put you on the pedestal and let you be a shining light to a dark and dismal world. He's got a dwelling place for you and for I. He he wants to put his people on display, but he can't put you on display if you're unfaithful. He can't put you on display if you're disobedient. He's got to judge. He's got to punish. He's got to chastise, but he really wants to bless you. And so Nehemiah understands this. And so Nehemiah is in his prayer letting the Lord know that he wants to get in line with God's wishes so that he can be used by God for whatever blessing God has in store. Now, the book of Nehemiah, those who have read this book, amen, who have studied the story, we know how this all ends up. 
<laughs> we know the miraculous things that happen in his life. But I contend to you right here while he's praying, he has no idea what God is going to do with him. And you know what? None of us in here, from the pulpit to the door, knows what God is going to do with us. But we have got to be willing to trust God right where we are right now. Not after we've cleaned ourselves up, not after we've fixed some things that we thought that God wouldn't like. No, right now, right where we are, in our frailties, in our failures, amen, right where we are is where God wants to take over. Nehemiah is still a cupbearer in Persia. He's 800 miles away from Jerusalem. But he's trusting God to work it out. Amen? And we got to do the same because we don't know what great thing God has in store for us. Amen? Each one of us. If we would trust God, the few people who are here today, we could move mountains. If we, after we see what Nehemiah does, amen, and you multiply that times the number of people in this place, Kansas City will be turned upside down. We don't even have to concern all the other churches just right here. If we look at how God can use us, he, this may not be prescriptive, but it is descriptive. That God is willing to use you if you're willing to be used. Amen? So in the text, we find that God is ready to bring you back to a place that he can use you. That's what he's talking about, a dwelling place for his name. He wants to get you to a place where he can use you. But it first starts with asking the Lord to forgive you of your sins, getting right with the Lord, starting to obey his word. And he will do what he says he will do. God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. God will carry out what he started. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross despising the shame. He died so that we might live. He died that he might be the exceeding abundant above all we could ever ask or think today. He died almost 2,000 years ago that he can use these earthen vessels in this house for miraculous works today. Amen. So we look at our text and we continue here and we say, we find that in his prayer, he says, now these are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. He says, oh Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name and let your servant prosper this day, I pray and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. For I was the king's cupbearer. Look at Nehemiah. In his prayer, not only does he pray for himself being a servant of God, but he had enough faith to believe that he wasn't the only servant that was out there. Then he had enough faith to believe that there were some more servants. Amen that was willing to sell out for the Lord. There were some more folks that would come alongside Nehemiah for whatever work God would have him to do at Jerusalem. Amen. 
you have to believe, even though your eyes may not see, that God has some more folks. But whatever he puts on your mind and on your heart to move forward, as you move forward in it, that God will bring alongside some other folks. Amen. That he is called out to be in the same ministry that you're in. You're not going to be alone. Amen. Uh, I'm thinking about um, uh, Pastor Collins who was here a few weeks ago. He was talking to me the other day about getting into prison ministry. Amen. Again. And they was running into all kinds of issues, amen, with being able to get in and get out because of political issues and all of this stuff surrounding getting into prisons today. But as he was going along in his ministry, God brought right alongside him some good men who were connected with some great organizations who had already opened doors to places that he didn't know was open. And now he's getting back into the prison ministries. He was, has been a couple of times up to Lansing already. Amen. But he had run into all kind of roadblocks. But see, God is doing stuff that we don't see. And he'll bring you right alongside what you need to carry out his mission. Amen. So we look at our text and we find out that Nehemiah was trusting enough in God that he wasn't a lone ranger. Amen that he was not in this all by himself. And so he ends his prayer, amen. He says, now I got something right in front of me that I do see that could be a real issue. Amen, I got the king in front of me. Now, at first blush, this may not be such an issue, but if you dig in a little deeper, you'll find out that the last thing the cupbearer wants to do is ask the king to leave him all by himself. That's the last thing that the cupbearer wants to do. That could cost him his life. That he would leave his post as cupbearer, the one who needs to taste and drink everything that comes before the king, the one that the king has put all his trust into to be the one that's going to be true to him and make sure that he protects him. That's why he said, Lord, be attentive to my prayer this day and grant me mercy in front of him, the sight of this man. He's talking about the king because this could cost him his life. But you know what? Nehemiah was not afraid. And he was still, even though it could cost him his life, he believed God was going to see him through. There's some things that God wants to use us to do that it may even seem like it'll cost our lives. But God is pushing us. Amen. And when he begins to push you, you got to flow with it. There may be some things that seem like the price is too high. But you don't know what God is doing. That's why we always got to go to God in prayer. He says at this time that you can come to him In your time of need, you can come boldly to the throne of grace. Nehemiah didn't know how the outcome was going to be. He doesn't know the story like we do. We can get smug and look at it and say, well, look, you know, the king gave him what he gave him, let him go and did all this. But he didn't know at the time, nor do we know at the time what obstacles are in our way. Nor do we know at this time whether or not the cost is too great or not. But as long as you got the Lord on your side, the cost is never too great. You must trust the Lord 
and move forward and believe that he will see you through. This story and this prayer, before we get any further in leadership, it all starts with prayer. A godly leader must be a praying leader. You can't go out here and do God's work and don't pray to the God whose work it is. You can't go out here like this and, well, I'm going to just take on God's work all by myself. Deacon Johnson, I'm just going to do it. I ain't going to consult with God. All you're going to do is have a train wreck. Because it is God's mission. It is God's ministry. And so if you want to know how to do God's work, you got to consult the master. Amen. Who has the schematic in his hand. And it is my prayer today for all of us as God continues to mold and make, to reshape, direct and correct new Zion. That we would be attentive to the voice of God. That we would be prayerful leaders and realize that we are leaders and that God wants to use us to do great things. But we got to start first with dealing with our sin condition. Then we got to get obedient to his word. And then we got to hear the voice of the Lord in how he wants to direct us and send us into the mission field. But I believe God is saying this to us because he wants to use us in great ways. Eyes have not seen nor have ears heard the good things that the Lord has for those who love him. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Eternal God, our Father, Lord, we just bless your name, Lord, for your word today. Lord, thank you for making sure the prayer of Nehemiah, amen, has been recorded that we might read that we might see your mind in his prayer, that we might see that ordinary people can do extraordinary things. Lord, thank you for letting us know that we can have holy boldness even against the opposition that is set before us and that there is victory in Jesus Christ. Lord, keep us as the weeks go on, Lord, and give us a mind and a heavy heart for mission, that we might be those who are out in the dark and dismal world telling boys and girls, men and women of the good news of Jesus Christ, helping in ministries that, that are appalling in this world, that people that are caught up in all kinds of issues of life, from transitioning from prisons back into the world to those who are in prison, to those who are caught up in sex trafficking, those who are drug addicts and those who are, are alcoholics. And Lord, just every issue that encumbers, Lord, help us to be those who let our light so shine that men might see our good works and glorify the Father, that they might hear that gospel message that has the power to save a sin-sick soul. These things we ask in the blessed name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. At this time, there may be somebody here today who doesn't know Jesus Christ in the pardoning of their sin. Today is the day of salvation. You can come right now. It won't cost you nothing because Jesus has already paid it all. 
He died on that old rugged cross one Friday evening for the sins of the world, was buried and rose on the third day morning with all power in his hand. And that's the power to save you no matter where you are, no matter where you've been. But you got to give God your heart. You got to ask him to forgive you of your sins. Amen. And he will come and will live in you. The doors of the church are open. Amen. Amen. Come.